Hi, it's Steve Johnson, Executive Director at Insight for Living Canada. We believe time with God and His Word is essential, which is why we provide resources for daily interaction with God and His Word. Insight for Today, our daily devotional email, is one of our most popular free resources. Thousands of Canadians already receive these inspiring messages from Chuck Swindoll each morning, with more subscribing every day. To receive Insight for Today each morning, seven days a week, sign up online at insightforliving.ca slash devotional. We'll deliver it automatically to your email. All you have to do is click and read. Begin your busy day equipped with wisdom from God's Word. Sign up free at insightforliving.ca slash devotional. It's unpleasant to describe the details of Jesus' crucifixion. The cross represents a picture of human tragedy that defies reason. Specifically, the death of Jesus represents betrayal of his own people, the injustice of local authorities, and the lethal violence of Roman soldiers. And yet, while it's unpleasant to contemplate the cruelty, it's essential for the follower of Jesus Christ to understand not only the details, but the spiritual implications as well. Today on Insight for Living, Chuck Swindoll presents message number 15 in his biographical study of Jesus. It's called Delivered Up to be Crucified. A significant part of any worship service is the reading of the scriptures. We want to do that found in John chapter 19. If you have a copy of God's word with you, John 19, beginning at verse 16, down through verse 30. It is a grim scene we arrive at today, unfamiliar to 20th century eyes. Nevertheless, we will journey there in depth asking the Lord to make it very clear what it was he endured on our behalf. Now, John 19, beginning at verse 16. And so he then delivered him up to them to be crucified. They took Jesus, therefore, and he went out, bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which is called in Hebrew, Golgotha, where they crucified him. And with him, two other men, one on either side and Jesus in between. And Pilate wrote an inscription also and put it on the cross. And it was written, Jesus the Nazarene, the king of the Jews, Therefore, this inscription many of the Jews read, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. And so the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but that he said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, what I have written, I have written. The soldiers, therefore, when they had crucified Jesus, took his outer garments and made four parts 
apart to every soldier, and also the tunic. Now the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece. They said therefore to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to decide whose it shall be. John adds, that the scripture might be fulfilled. They divided my outer garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. Therefore the soldiers did these things. But there were standing by the cross of Jesus his mother, and his mother's sister Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her into his own household. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, in order that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I am thirsty. A jar full of sour wine was standing there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine upon a branch of hyssop and brought it up to his mouth. When Jesus therefore had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. You're listening to Insight for Living. To dig deeper into the Bible with Chuck Swindoll, be sure to download his Searching the Scriptures guide by going to insightforliving.ca studies. Chuck titled today's message, Delivered Up to be Crucified. There are certain sights that are just too harsh for human eyes to see. But we look nevertheless. During my months on the island of Okinawa in the 3rd Marine Division, our outfit was allowed to visit a leprosarium up to the north end of the island. And I will never forget looking at the results of a disease too harsh for human eyes to view. The extremities eaten away, these dear people living their lives separate from the real world, and their families. Like you, I have also viewed the results of our liberating those from Dachau and uh, Birkenbau and, and other concentration camps. And like many of you, I too have walked through the Yad Vashem Museum in Jerusalem and uh, looked at scenes the human eye should never have to see. Mounds of human hair Spectacles, glass spectacles once worn by Jews. Mounds of little children's shoes. And like most of you, I too had to leave early. I couldn't finish the tour. Like many of you, I have seen uh, the results of horrible accidents on highways and afterwards wondered if I would ever forget the scenes. One I will never forget was the result of a hit-and-run driver who struck down two little boys, knocked them out of their shoes, and dragged them over a hundred feet. 
And by the time I got there at Beach Boulevard and Rosecrans, uh, there were just four sneakers and a trail of blood left. Just too harsh for human eyes to see. Horrible and tragic and dreadful as those things were, there was nothing to compare to the crucifixion of Jesus. Nothing. They all pale into much less significance when you study in depth, as I have done, and perhaps some of you have done, what was meant by the words, they delivered him up to be crucified. But we must look nevertheless. I believe by spending this time together around the cross and by forcing us to look at scenes that were just too harsh for eyes to study, we will leave all the more grateful for those words. He paid the price for our sins with his own body on the tree. Now, admittedly, the spiritual significance of his death far outshadows the physical pain. I understand that. But there is something about imagining in your mind's eye, since we will never see it firsthand, what it meant to be nailed to a tree and hung and left to die in agony. It just makes me overwhelmed with feelings of thankfulness. It's, it's like sitting through the first 20, 25 minutes of Saving Private Ryan. And if you can do that and finish the film, you leave standing taller as an American. Knowing that on that bloody beach in June of 1944, there were those men who gave their last that we might live free. And just seeing it intensifies your patriotism. And so I feel these scenes will do that for us spiritually. We really return to a torture, a chamber of horrors when we go to Golgotha. And we relive his last hours before his final breath. I warn you, it, it is neither pleasant nor is it entertaining. But long enough have we kept it all at an antiseptic distance. Long enough have we repeated with little feelings those six words in the creed. He was crucified, dead, and buried with as little fervor as if we were giving the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag in many settings today, not realizing what we are saying. But you understand, crucifixion was never meant to be studied under glass, really never meant to be analyzed as a stock report in a Wall Street Journal. Crucifixion was the worst possible way to die. And that is why it was devised. In the words of one Harvey Branscombe, few more terrible means of execution could be devised. Pain, thirst, the torture of insects, exposure to brutal spectators, the horror of rigid fixation, all continuing interminably combined to make it a supreme humiliation and torture. To put things into proper perspective, force yourself to be removed from this culture 
where the cross is little more than a diamond-studded piece of jewelry hanging from a golden chain around someone's neck or imprinted on the front cover of a Bible. Think of a gas chamber with the screams of the dying in the distance. Fix your, your mind and your eyes on an electric chair where a body, because of high voltage, jumps into a rigid motion and often bursts into flames. Or a hangman's noose where the vertebrae of the neck and the spinal cord are snapped and the body hangs lifeless under the searing rays of a summer sun. And you will have come to the cross on which the Prince of Glory died. And if you can read it without weeping, you have not really read it well. But enough of generalities uh, returning to the scene portrayed by the writers of the Gospels. Turn first to John 19, verse 16. You look at these simple words and they seem only that until you realize what they represent. He then delivered him up to them. The he is the uh, spineless, compromising, political, coward pilot who by his own admission more than once said, I find no fault in this man. This man is innocent of the charges brought against him. There is no guilt. The man is innocent. And yet, to save his own hide, washed his hands in this brief moment, relieving himself, if you will, of his guilt, saying, he's all yours to do with him as you please. That's the he of verse 16. The him is Jesus, obviously. Pilate delivered Jesus up to them. This bloodthirsty crowd relentlessly and blindly determined to pursue the execution of Jesus. The method clearly stated in the 16th verse, to be crucified. We've never seen such a thing. We've never witnessed it. Not in our generation or any recent generation of time. Allow me, therefore, to lay the groundwork. The Persians, it seems, were the ones who first devised crucifixion. They came upon it after experimenting with all forms of excruciating, painful, and slow deaths. Uh, they tried stoning, drowning, burning, boiling in oil, strangulation, and spearing. And they found all of them bringing on death much too rapidly and with not, and with not near enough pain. And so they devised crucifixion. Being idolaters at heart, their god, Ormuzd, O-R-M-U-Z-D, was the god of the earth. And he brought sacredness to the earth. Therefore, no capital criminal should ever die standing on or laying on the earth. So they devised a plan to lift his body up off the earth so as to keep from contaminating the earth at the time of his death. All pagan societies who later embraced crucifixion did so because they found it to be the most unforgettable kind of death that would leave in the minds of those 
who witnessed it the indelible reminder that crime does not pay. Those societies believed that by witnessing capital punishment, people were deterred from committing similar crimes. It had the four most needed areas of torture connected to them. Number one, it was the most painful. Number two, it was the slowest form of death. Three, it was the most humiliating since victims were crucified naked and exposed. Fourth, it was the most public as a victim would hang somewhere in between three and six hours at least. And Merrill Unger in his Bible dictionary states that there were cases on record of one who hung as long as nine days before he died. Cicero, the Roman statesman, wrote of crucifixion as the most cruel, the most horrible of all tortures. He witnessed it in his day. Klausner said, Crucifixion was the most terrible death which man has ever devised for taking vengeance upon his fellow man. Tacitus put it in two words, despicable death, and later referred to it as a torture fit only for slaves. Romans themselves would shudder as they witnessed a dying victim of crucifixion. They reserved crucifixion for rebels, runaway slaves, and soldiers, and the worst forms of criminals. It continued until the days of Constantine, who believed it was too inhumane to continue. Jesus' crucifixion added insult to injury, because not only was he to be killed by crucifixion, he was also mocked by the soldiers in the barracks, you remember. He was scourged, as we saw last time, as the body was lacerated down almost to the rib cage. He was left shivering with his teeth chattering in this case of physical shock. In Matthew 27, turn please, verse 28 tells us, he was then turned over to soldiers who began to mock him as a king. Imagine this as being your son or your father. I think it will help make it much more personal if you could go there. Here is this innocent man, absolutely, completely innocent, standing trial, unfairly accused, and now unjustly tortured before he is cruelly nailed to a cross. Verse 28 says, they stripped him. Who did? Verse 27, the Roman cohort. If you have ever spent time in the military, you know that there are few groups more obscene and can be more brutal than military soldiers. This is a group of them. We haven't their names. But they strip him naked and they put on him a scarlet robe. Our first thought is a long flowing robe. Royalty wore that. This is a clamous is the term and it means a cape. 
a cape, probably just enough to cover his shoulders. It may have been a part of the Roman guard apparel that they grabbed from the barracks wall and threw it across his shoulders. He's standing there, shivering, in shock from the scourging, and now this cape is thrown across his shoulders because, after all, a king needs a, a robe, doesn't he? And now they put a crown of thorns on him. A king needs a crown, doesn't he? And the thorns they chose, akathun, thorn, found in the, uh, in the courtyard and often used for kindling on cold nights. They reached down into the pail where those, that thorny bush was trimmed and cut and left there, and they plaited a, a, a crown together, a little piece of cruel art. And they jammed it down on his head. Uh, friends of mine who went to Israel before I had the privilege of going for the first time gathered some of those uh, thorns that grow naturally in that country and put a crown together and gave it to me under leaded glass. The thorns are about uh, three to five inches long. They're, they're sharp. They'll to this day cut you. They're, they're slightly tapered, very narrow. And then a reed, we read, they put a reed in his hand. A king needs a scepter. Can't you imagine the, the obscenities, the profanity of these soldiers as they cursed him? Another writer says that they punched him. And now they put the reed in his hand and then they jerk it from him and beat him upon the head and face with the reed. As he's standing now with his face swollen, his eyes are like two tiny slits and the blood coming from the crown and sticking to the robe, the, the clamoose on his back. And they, sail to, they say to him, verse 29, Hail, King of the Jews! We salute thee! Long live Jesus, King of these Jews! Can't you just hear them? He stands there without a word. As a lamb before his shearers is dumb, Isaiah writes, he never opened his mouth. Imagine. Never put up his own hands to protect himself from the blows to his face. He is one massive bruise. And then we read, after spitting on him and striking him on the head with the reed, verse 30, after mocking him, they pull the robe from his back and probably not wanting to shock the pious Jews celebrating Passover on the streets that day, they led him away to crucify him. A few words about the procession, since we are so unfamiliar with it. A victim of crucifixion fit in the center of a hollow square that walked along the Via Dolorosa. The victim in the middle and four soldiers, one at each corner of the square, led by a centurion. We've never given the names of those soldiers or the centurion. Legend gives us a name, but it is not reliable. We don't know who the men were. They were just military soldiers who had the crucifixion detail that day, that morning. The crime of the victim was written on a plank of wood about one foot by two feet, it was called a titulus, T-I-T-U-L-U-S. We get our word title from that word. The titulus was this piece of wood that first hung around the neck of the victim as he carried a portion of his cross to the place of execution. On this titulus was written the crime. In this case, 
the words written in Hebrew and Latin and Greek, since the place he was crucified was so cosmopolitan, they wanted all people of whatever tongue, major tongues, to read and to know what the crime was. And Pilate wrote it, which was not uncommon. And uh, there was a bit of an argument. I don't know if you recall that. Hold your place in Matthew 27 and look back in verse 21 of, of John 19, and you'll see the dialogue between those who disagreed with what he wrote and the one who wrote this statement on the titulus. John 19, 21, the chief priests of the Jews were saying to Pilate, do, do not write the king of the Jews. It could look as though he is that, is what they were concerned with. But, but rather, add the words, he said, I am the king of the Jews. Let him understand that he simply claimed that. We don't want them to think he was, in fact, the king of the Jews. Pilate's anti-Semitism comes to the forefront when he says, what I have written, I have written. Look, you've got him. You've got him to do with as you please. We'll leave the writing as it is. This is Jesus of Nazareth the king of the Jews. The processional was led by a complete Roman military guard headed by a centurion. Understand, outside the city walls, the vertical beam awaited the victim. The hole was already in the ground. It had been used numerous times and would be used again. No doubt the vertical beam was used over and over and over. But the cross beam perhaps was unique prepared for this particular individual or someone like him about to be crucified. Well, these are the horrific details leading up to the crucifixion of Jesus. Keep listening to Insight for Living because Chuck Swindoll has much more to say on this topic. He titled today's message, Delivered Up to be Crucified. If you missed any portion of Chuck's teaching series on Jesus, you can easily access previous messages by using the Insight for Living podcast. Just follow the simple instructions at insightforliving.ca slash podcast. Here at Insight for Living, we believe that sometimes your best learning occurs apart from this program when you're reading God's Word on your own. Did you realize that Chuck wrote a study Bible that's thoughtfully designed to guide your personal quiet times? It's called the Swindoll Study Bible, and it represents decades of personal research, all condensed into one book. In classic Swindoll fashion, you'll find the Swindoll Study Bible to be practical, easy to navigate, and filled with resources that will enhance your interpretation of God's Word. Each book in the Bible includes helpful context from Chuck, along with colorful profiles on key biblical figures. Because of its popularity, the Swindoll Study Bible is now offered in many different styles and sizes. You can choose your preferred binding, font size, color, and texture. And you can make your selection today by going online to insightforliving.ca slash Bible. This daily program is made possible through voluntary donations from people just like you. If God is prompting you to support this ministry, address your contribution to Insight for Living Canada, Post Office Box Number 8, Station A, Abbotsford, B.C., V2T6Z4. To simplify the process and automate your monthly gifts, we invite you to become a monthly partner. And you can do that by calling 1-800-663-7639 
or go online to insightforliving.ca slash partner. I'm Bill Meyer. Join us when Chuck Swindoll continues his important message about the crucifixion of Jesus tomorrow on Insight for Living. The preceding message, Delivered Up to be Crucified, was copyrighted in 1999, and the sound recording was copyrighted in 2024 by Charles R. Swindoll, Incorporated. All rights are reserved worldwide. Duplication of copyrighted material for commercial use is strictly prohibited.